0: Welcome to another episode of It Is Complicated, a podcast that answers every single question with It's Complicated, including the name of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. So if you like this, support us on Patreon so we can make more great things happen. Patreon.com slash It Is Complicated, all one word. And in the meantime, Dr. J., would you care to introduce yourself?
1: Of course I will. Hi, I'm Dr. J. I gave myself the job title, Harbinger of Change, and I gave myself the gender transgressive non-binary queer. I'm what people on the internet today seem to really fear, which is somebody who gets to define themselves. I'm also a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance. Because because branding. 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 There's a hashtag out there, (laughs) hashtag queer nuisance, and I think I'm about the only person still on it.
0: Because Branding
1: because branding. So Josephine,
0: why are you? Why am I? Why I am is the existential question that we all ask ourselves when we scream into the night. What I am is a independent scholar, activist and artist, occasionally a performance artist, sometimes a visual artist, most recently a visual artist. I like to think of myself as a queer without portfolio, which we have yet to define, but it sounds good.
1: It does sound good because branding.
0: Because, branding. Plus, today, it's especially appropriate. I've dressed in my finest career casual to discuss my portfolio and lack thereof with Dr. J on the subjects of... Employment. Employment, or the lack thereof. Or the difficulties
1: of. The difficulties of gaining it, or should I say, the complications of gaining employment, keeping employment. And when people turn around and say oh, so your career path, please please talk me through it. In an interview, I'm kind of like, hi, I'm a non-binary person who's 50, who's had at least two career changes. What, what fucking part of this do you think was planned? Mm-hmm. It's like when we did that one about queer age and we talked about that way that it takes you longer when you're queer, when you're different, to get through some mm-hmm. of those gates. It's shit. I've been working since I was 14. From then on, I always had a part-time job. Then I ended up with a job much later working at a sewage works. I was bullied by my manager and my manager's manager to the point where I left the work. I just couldn't stand it anymore and just had to leave. So I went from there to other jobs in IT where I got bullied again and again and again. And everyone's like, well, Jay, you know, There's a lot of bullies out there and you do occasionally run into a bully. And because of the way that you interact with bullies, you become an easy target because you can be very defensive and all of those things. I've learnt not to be over the years, but I still can be very upset by bullying. One of the things I've realized is it was never my problem. These people were bullying me because I was different, because they were homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic, whatever phobic they were. I was different. And it was like being at school, where when you're different, people believe that they can bully you. So in these workplaces, I would be constantly bullied. And it happened in New Zealand. It's happened in the UK. Nowhere has been a safe workplace until now. But for the majority of my 36 years in the workforce, I have been bullied in the workplace for anything, everything, you name it. I don't dress right, I don't talk right, I don't act right, I don't do right. And that has ginormous impacts. It's systemic. These people weren't coming for me because they were coming for me. They were coming for me because they come for difference.
0: You are the easy target, being that your difference is a difference that culturally is accepted as a target. And that means that you're going to be targeted more often, which means that eventually you will start reacting to situations as someone who's been targeted, which causes a certain set of behaviors, which means that you're more obvious as a target. People can see you as a target. That means you will be subject to even more of that behavior and it'll loop around again and again and again and again. These are the cycles of abuse that exist in all sorts of arenas and are measurable. As, as the academic uh, <laughs> says, again, there is research on this, literal research. Uh, I once asked a psychologist about this. And she said, yeah, that's exactly what it is, is that you can often see the behavior of someone who's been abused and bullied on that person before they will even tell you that they've been abused or bullied. You can, as a psychologist, she would see this regularly. And she said, on that basis, Others will see it too. And even if they're not professionally seeing it as a psychologist, they're reacting to it unconsciously. And their unconscious reaction is to bully. Now, they would never call it that. They would never call what they're doing as ostracizing someone who's different. No, they'll always have a perfectly valid reason. there will always be a good reason for it. And that good reason, weirdly enough tends to always be paper thin when you start looking at it and become very, very obviously not true. But as queer people, Dr. Jay and I have certainly experienced this and want to talk about our experiences of being marginalized in that regard because they're particularly complicated. Trans and non-binary discrimination is very easy to hide and obfuscate with other terms or other ways of appearing like you're not discriminating against someone?
1: After one job, I ended up unemployed for 18 weeks in the UK. The one thing that I had during that time was a really, really cool, understanding person who was my caseworker at the job centre around the corner from me because I explained what I do for a living and said what I was doing to look for work. And she was totally chill. And when we got to 16 weeks, which is normally the point where they start saying, if you don't say yes to this job, stacking shelves at Tesco's or something, we're going to put you on sanctions. And she was like, I know that it's only going to take another couple of weeks or a month for someone to say yes to you. So I then went and had a look back because I kept pretty detailed logs for her to show what I was doing. And she was like, it's okay. You just needed a piece of paper. You didn't need to bring in the spreadsheet. But I had... I believe it was something around 50 face-to-face or over-the-phone interviews during those 18 weeks. I was not a passive job hunter. For 48 of them, I'd get these responses passed back through these lovely agencies who were working really, really hard to find me a job because they were like, this is a really great candidate. Why can we not get somebody to employ them? And I was, all the responses that I got were, thank you for sending through, Dr. J. They're an excellent candidate. They really have the skills. We were looking for, they obviously have the experience that we're after. We just don't believe they will be a culture fit for our organization. Now, when you hear that 48 times, the things that run through your head is, is culture fit a term for homophobia or transphobia or biphobia or discrimination? The answer is yes. There were two or three in there that were valid. This is not the right person for the work that we want. For the rest of them, it's pretty much just transphobia or homophobia. So where did I end up working after that, 16 weeks later? There were two places, one of which was a temporary role. I probably should have taken it, but that's okay. The other one was a full-time role. So I took the full-time role. Full-time role was at a place where I shouldn't have worked. It was not a culture fit. I was literally working for a bully. And you just go through experiences like that. And then I freelanced for a bit, which is a zero-hours contract, but you just get paid slightly more than somebody who's on a zero hours contract. If you don't work, you don't eat. You might be paid slightly more, but at the end of the day, it's not a lot, especially if you can go through weeks and weeks and weeks of having to hunt for a job. As my lovely therapist says, it's not that you've been unlucky. It's that you've been systemically abused for most of your working life, which is why you have PTSD, which is why there are certain phrases, certain things that get said that you will react to in ways that people are like, what the hell? Why is this person so defensive, so aggressive?
0: This is understandable. And perhaps even certain phrases, PTSDs like that. It's an experience where one's triggers tend to be rather personal and usually quite unusual to anybody else's because there are personal triggers. That's what a trigger is. However, I am surprised that anyone would be surprised that you have that experience, <laughs> not because of who you are, what you look like, but because everybody seems to understand that systemic discrimination exists, at least those people who aren't lying. You know, it's <laughs> like Because if you said to someone, like, is a gay person more likely to be discriminated at work? Unless they're lying, they're going to say yes. If a, a black person is likely to be more, more discriminated at work, yes. Are they going to be more likely to experience PTSD as a result? Yes. What is a possible reaction to PTSD? Having a trigger, perhaps reacting defensively, even being aggressive in odd situations. So these are not surprises. This is a systemic thing, so much so that we can predict it, that we understand it, we know it, even if we don't want to admit to it.
1: People don't think about those things. No, they. They assume that their experience of the workplace is my experience of the workplace, that their experiences will be the same as mine all the time.
0: I I disagree. I don't think that's what they're thinking at all. I think on the surface, that's what they're thinking. I think if you ask them, they'll say that. But if you got into a real conversation and they were actually genuine with you, they would not say that. Because I defy people to say that there isn't systemic discrimination in the workplace in our culture in general most people wouldn't say that because they're not stupid but they would say that about their workplace it's like no 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 my workplace is different it's like really is it though it sets up such a barrier
1: you go into a workplace and you automatically are expecting it so What I wanted to go on to was, say, what happened to my current workplace, which is ThoughtWorks. And this may sound like an advert for ThoughtWorks, and I'm sorry, I am going to advertise them ever so slightly, because they didn't bully me once in 18 months, the first 18 months I was there. And in fact, they really haven't over the four years that I've been there. The reason why I make the point at 18 months is that 18 months, I had an absolute stonker of a breakdown. And I had an absolute stonker of a breakdown because I was expecting to be bullied. And the longer that I waited for it to happen, the worse it was going to be. And the more I had to sit and wait, I knew that it was going to be bad. So I just kept on sitting there waiting for this to happen. And when it didn't, the anxiety built up in me that this would happen. So of course, I ended up having an absolutely stonking, ginormous anxiety meltdown because I couldn't take waiting to be bullied. One of the triggers for it was when a client attempted to bully me, and it was so mild. Members of my team noticed, took me aside and checked that I was okay, and formulated a plan to help me. I'd never been looked after like that in my life. That started the breakdown, because I wasn't just not being bullied, I was being protected by the people I was working with, and I literally didn't know what to do with all of that pent-up energy. I had a meltdown so severe, I couldn't put socks on. And I was constantly suicidal, which is also incredibly scary. And when it took time for our mental health resources to get back to me, my work were basically like putting pressure on them, going, how can we help you? How can we keep you safe? What is going to protect you at this time? What is going to help you? And that's unheard of. Because previously when I've had breakdowns, it's been like, okay, we'll sign you off for six weeks, try to come back sane, or try to come back. But no, you can't come to work. No, we don't want to know anything about it. Whereas I was very open that the only thing keeping me alive was going into work. Even if I didn't make it in there till two in the afternoon, it meant that I had had food, I had put clothes on, I had left the house, people had seen me, so I wasn't going to be found Six weeks later, you know, there were all of these things. And I can be open about this with Josephine because I know Josephine's been there for another one of these scary breakdowns where literally I think they did put me off work for nearly six weeks. Whereas this workspace said, we'll look after you. And they've continued to do so. And it's got to the point, and this is almost hard to say, but it's got to the point where I'm not just accepted at work, I'm celebrated. I'm celebrated for being different. I'm celebrated for what my difference can bring. I'm celebrated for what my experience of this can bring, for when we get into discussions about how to make workplaces and workspaces better, my experience, my, my superpowers of resilience and, and vulnerability come into play. And I can talk about how we can make workspaces better for the young people who are starting out on their careers in tech and how we can make the space so much better for them. But I'm being allowed to have the space to have that discussion. And it's not just allowed to have that. I'm encouraged to have that discussion. I'm encouraged to push that forward. I'm encouraged to push that with everyone to say, how do we do this? How do we actually push this in? How do we make this happen? And that's unheard of. I'm not just told, oh, you're just being noisy. Or just because you've been... Bully doesn't mean that there's a bullying culture in this organisation. It does.
0: Uh, (laughs) That's a tautology, isn't it? I mean, I'm being bullied in this culture, so there must be a bullying culture. This is a trick question.
1: Oh, no, no, no. It's just a bad apple. It's one bad person. (laughs) Ah, right. Yeah, because that that argument has gone over
0: particularly well in the last couple of weeks.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's one bad person, but, you know, bullying is a really hard thing to prove. So I'm afraid we won't be able to do anything about their behavior. But we will find you another manager if if you need it. But we will have to find a way to explain why you've changed managers. So in other words, shut up. Go back to where you are. Stay where you are and keep quiet about this. Sorry, Um, I feel like like I've just ranted for the longest time
0: about work. And... (laughs) I mean, you know, these things don't fit into neat little packages where one can analyze these things without emotive content. This is who you are, it's your life, this is experience that you've had. You're not going to be able to analyze it dispassionately, just present it as a well, isn't that interesting? isn't it complicated isn't it complicated let us have a chat about something dispassionately and not thought-provoking you know it's thought-provoking but it's not really happening to us except for it is and the only way i can talk about this dispassionately is because i'm having a disassociation attack and that's (laughs) that's allowing me to be completely emotionless about this and that's a really good coping mechanism what what (laughs) who's breakdown who's breaking down (laughs) I have no experience of this whatsoever. (laughs) I
1: think it's a tell for somebody who is different because you're constantly being asked, why did you change roles? You've got a patchwork career. You don't stay as long in a job as people expect.
0: These things are very hard to name. They're very hard to even define because there's a cultural imperative not to do them. It is perpetuating something that is benefiting a minority, the minority who benefits and everybody else who's feeding into that, and that is a common cultural system. So of course, there's no way to really talk about it. And especially, it's very, really, it's really hard to define. Especially when you want to say to someone, "No, this is happening." It's like, yeah, but it's a bad apple. Oh, it, maybe it's just a bit you, or da 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 da. if you weren't, if you weren't such a victim, well, which is something. If you didn't act as such a victim, I hate that expression. We should do a whole podcast on that. That's one of my Maybe favorite. we will. I'll, I'll, I'll add it to the list. Yeah. Because it's hard to define, sometimes it's very hard to do anything about. And it's very hard to claim it even. It's like these experiences have happened to me as well regularly to such a degree that I believe and know with all my being it has to do with homophobia and transphobia. But because it's very rarely overtly said that that's the case, it's very hard to claim it to someone who is claiming to believe a dispassionate workplace that they have is completely egalitarian, except for those very few occasions when you get to find out that that's exactly what it is. And those, well, not pleasant, for sure, are like gold dust to a certain degree, because I've had the experience (laughs) of going in for an interview for a position And I found out and knew that I was by far the most qualified person for the job by a country mile. Uh, I did the interview. I know enough about performance to know when a gig goes right. Overall, I came across as very, very qualified, professional together, sorted out, and I didn't get the job. I was very disappointed because it was a good job. And I spoke to my contact who, when I, Ask them why I didn't get the job. They asked me the following question. Would you like the real answer or the answer they're going to give you? (laughs) I picked option number one, listener. And as hard as it was to hear, at least I knew. I was like, good. Thank you. I can't do anything about it because I can't take it to them because they will give another reason. And they had another reason. It was flimsy. I'm sure it could have been criticized. I'm sure it could even be used to take to a tribunal or to make a complaint. I imagine that might have worked, maybe, but it would have blackballed me in a particular industry. I would never have been able to get a job in said industry again. Not that I've managed to yet, because one of the reasons, dear listener, that I'm an independent scholar, activist, artist, and performer is because no bastard will hire me to do it. <laughs> I have to do it by myself. I might cut that bit out. But, no, I think you know,
1: I, I would say keep it in because I think yeah. it's important. I had to freelance after that awful job.
0: Yeah. Because, well, so, same here. Because, I mean, because, because,
1: yeah. because no one would employ me. You're having to freelance at the moment because people will find reasons not to employ you. And it's that culture yeah. fit lie being said in a different way
0: the thing about that is that you can't really argue against it because it's hmm. nebulous. You know, it's, it's that get out of jail free card for an employer. It's like, well, you know what, you're great. You're clearly qualified and the person that we hired, they're clearly significantly less qualified, but you see, the thing about them is that, you know, they, they, they just fit a little bit. They fit a little bit by being, you know, a little bit, what's the word I'm looking for more uh, like everyone else normal if you will not like you if you will um um, i didn't mean to say it like that actually what i meant to say was you're great it's not you it's
1: us (laughs) but it's Uh, it's such a fucking lie of and it's used so often and part of Mm. me also turns around and says well would i want to belong to the sort of organization that wouldn't want me in their culture um and some of me goes, fucking yes, because I need some fucking money. I need to eat. I need to, to, live. <laughs> yes, I need
0: to a, live. I need to eat. I've been told that too. That joke of like, well, you know, you want to work in that organisation. Now, of course, you weren't told to me by someone who is straight white and has a job. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know what I do want though is food mm. and rent paid, and not to be homeless. Yeah, like so many of my other queer friends who cannot get a gig because of this, despite being. Sp- spectacularly overqualified.
1: Oh my God. Yes. I also look at the younger queers coming through and just want to say to them, I know that the employment market is shit and they will use these lies to you over and over and over again. But there are also some good places out there who will look at you and go, I'm going to employ you and I'm going to figure out how to make our culture fit you.
0: (laughs) I am, as I've said before, a career without portfolio. And as such, I am available. And I would like to think of myself as qualified for certain positions. Uh, you can see my CV at justmeanbear.com. So if you'd like to take up Dr. J's wonderful challenge, and I do believe there are places out there that might think of me as a good fit to their culture. And I hope that I can continue to do the things that I do love to do. And I think that I can do relatively well. But at it can be incredibly discouraging to be told over and over again, well yeah, but you know you're wonderfully qualified and clearly very talented except for, you know, this thing of you being different. And I've seen it over and over again. If you are an actor, I've been at one point in my life talk to any of your friends who are people of color, who are women, who are disabled, you will be told over and over again that they will hire a white actor who is able-bodied and cis over you to play your role at every opportunity whatsoever. And they will always tell you that there's a really good reason that Scarlett Johansson has to play you in a film. And that can next time they'll have... get you. <laughs> next time, next time you'll, you can play the sequel. You can be the, the, in, in the less successful straight-to-video version.
1: Or if you can be an extra in there or you can be a consultant to her performance as you because have, that's important.
0: And I've been offered that exact job in the past.
1: Which is ridiculous.
0: And I've taken it and I don't mean mind telling you because I needed the fucking money.
1: Yeah. Well, that is the reason that I've done some jobs.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I'm going to write about very soon, and I want to present it another way. So I'm going to present it as an idea here. Uh, in part because it's relevant and in part because I'm still thinking about it. But as an academic, as a person who's part of a community that's systematically discriminated against, I am often in the position of studying often people who are like me, because very few people are going to study people like me and do it well enough (laughs) if they're not one of said community, which is a bit tragic, but true. Which means that the ultimate upshot of that is, is that if you happen to be a trans academic, you often end up writing about trans people. Now, not all trans academics do that, but a lot of us do, and for the important reason that we need to be represented in this field by people who are going to be (laughs) sympathetic, funnily enough. However, this causes a really unpleasant feedback loop or dichotomy. The short of it is this, I'm not allowed to suffer from the same discrimination that I'm studying in other people. I'm not allowed to experience the symptoms or fallout of that discrimination that I am studying in other people and have to have those experiences taken into account. As soon as that happens, I'm no longer allowed to write about it. If I start experiencing PTSD symptoms because I'm living in a structurally discriminatory environment, or I'm physically attacked, or I am chased from my home, or I'm refused work or refused funding because of who I am, I stop being able to write about the experiences of those things happening, not just in myself, but in others. The only way for me to write about the discrimination that people are like me experiencing is never to experience that discrimination which is impossible
1: that's insane yeah i mean i thought it was bad enough being a non-binary person in tech (laughs) over over 45 you're in a structure that doesn't allow for your existence and you can't commentate on your absence because the structure is determined that you cannot be both a wave and a particle at the same time
0: No, it's an excellent analogy. I mean, I think of, and if I'm not going to use myself as the example, I can think of my friends who are disabled academics, for example, who are writing about disability. Crip theory is the queer theory equivalent of that, where someone might want to examine, I don't know, the structural discrimination against people who've got certain disabilities, but they can't access those institutions because having that disability precludes you from being able to write in such a way that everybody else agrees is good academia as in you know objective and proper and you know um, you're uh, publishing or dying as they often say you Hmm. are constantly working and you have never needed to take a break or a holiday or have to take time off to deal with the crushing ptsd that you're experiencing because your life is a constant fear-inducing anxiety nightmare.
1: But it's also the same in the non-academia world. Yeah. I'm expected to be professional. I'm expected to never have emotions. I'm expected to be completely dispassionate, even when I'm triggered. Even when somebody is doing something and I'm having to deal with 40 years worth of layers to actually see what, what the hell is going on. And people are like, you reacted awfully strongly to that situation. And there's part of me going, I reacted completely fine as to what I read from that situation. What they can't see is the 40 years of that situation happening before.
0: Well, but they it also is, have never experienced it. I mean, because their experience is often going to be cis-normative. So they're just going to go, well, I don't experience that and I don't act that way. So it must be me being normal and professional and you're just weird. Or because... you're just
1: unprofessional, which is the word that yeah. pops up. And, and it's the word that's used in the same way as you're too emotive it's it's asking Mm. us to be both a a light wave and a light particle at the same time we have to experience Mm. the discrimination we have to be in this environment that structurally oppresses us and Mm -hmm. yet we need to be professional we need to not be impacted and if you're trying to hide what you are or show what you are it's still impacting you because people sense difference a lot of people aren't consciously recreating these structural oppressions. They're just unconsciously, and I'm using unconscious rather than subconscious, they're unconsciously repeating it because they've never interrogated it.
0: Of course, that's because it's structural, because yeah. it's, it's invisible. It's these yeah. no, no, these people aren't acting like mustache twirling villains. I mean, this is, they're, they're, they're simply I... reproducing the model that they've been taught as normal. I've had a
1: couple of, as you've heard, I've had a couple of moustache twirling villains. But for the most part, people have been really nice and really fine and and everything else apart from they've just unconsciously repeated the same structural oppression over and over and over again.
0: It it makes me think of this notion of professionality being cis, normative, white, middle class, able-bodied. The number of Black people I know who've told me about their hair is not defined as professional or being told well yeah can't you straighten your hair because you know curly or, or big hair or afro hair or th- hair like that it's just not professional it's like but why why isn't it professional the reason why black hair is not called professional is because it's not white so they'll say no but no but it's not about that no 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 it's because it's not straight and neat and cropped in a certain way or or tied back properly or, or out of your face no it, it's because you're notion of what is professional fits a very very specific silhouette Hmm. and there are many 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 people who do not meet it and they're desperately trying to reproduce that silhouette if you want to look at how obsessively we have to match that silhouette in order to just be considered you can read reams and reams of research of disabled people and how they have to present to go to any kind of job interview or women and how exceptional they have to be to compete with mediocrity <laughs> in their male counterparts. And, and and the number of people I've spoken to who will agree that yes, systematically that is true in our country, except for not at my job, because my job's just not like that. Yeah. Except for we're not hiring you because of what is it? Uh, you're not culture a culture fit. You're, you're not, not a, a culture fit for our organisation. You don't look professional enough because of your hair, your uh, eye color, your uh, that word you just used. Sorry, I'm a little bit. No, no, out.
1: I totally, I totally get it. It's like
0: because I can't talk about this dispassionately because no, we're affected by this. Neither and, of us can. No, I can't do that academic thing of there has been discrimination in the life of Josephine Baird and Dr. J. They can discuss this at length and how it has affected themselves in a way that is animated, aggressive, perhaps even comical, in a dark way. This is done in order to achieve a sense of release and also to puncture the crushing, crushing pain that they experience in their daily lives. Let's watch. I've gone very strained.
1: No, but I like what you just said is so so completely true. It's so true. It's that ability for us to laugh about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky I'm in a good place at the moment where I can talk about this stuff and get taken seriously, but I always end up talking very seriously about it. And I always feel like it's lovely to be able to talk about it in a more lighthearted way. It's lovely to be able to joke about it because with somebody else who's experienced the same thing. Because we don't talk about the crushing systemic oppression in our jobs. We don't talk about the crappy reviews that we get. We don't talk about the way that we're constantly fighting to be seen and to be ourselves and to be open about ourselves. We don't talk about those things because they're personal, because they happen to us. And it's not until you start opening the conversation that you realize that, Everyone in the room, he doesn't fall into that very narrow band of normative, has had literally had the same word said to them. And in having the same word said to them, we all realize that there is a system that's oppressing us. And it's not just that person. It's that entire system that is waiting down on everybody who's different outside of that little normative box.
0: I think you've summarized it perfectly. It's as simple as that. The people who are hurt by those systems are the majority, not the minority. And the worst thing about these things is it always makes you feel like you're the only one. And that's just not true.
1: And by the way, Josephine Baird is wonderful to work with.
0: And not at all a cultural misfit. Unless you want me to be, which I can do for an hourly rate.
1: You're attempting to be normative, neuronormative, aren't you? Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah, please don't. Yeah, Yeah, please don't.
1: It just goes so wrong.
0: <laughs> now, Josephine, for those of you who can't see this because it's a podcast, is pulling a silly face. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> I think we're done for this week. I think we are. And uh, it's been a pleasure to work with you again this week, Dr. J. Thank you for joining us, dear listener. Come again next week when we will be discussing something Else. I'm not even gonna suggest <laughs> No, don't just don't even because it's not dear listener, We record these things quite significantly in advance to when they're put out. So we can no longer keep up with the constant shifting shitstorm that seems to be coming out of the mouth of a particular noted author who resides at the British Isles. And so with that, goodbye.